What's up, everybody? Welcome to my podcast, The Sonder Society. Sonder is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. In this podcast, we focus on the people behind Instagram, its advantages and disadvantages, and how the future has been shaped around it. I have designed and implemented a platform to share insights with you from a variety of guests with different backgrounds to let you into their life, work, relationships, and experiences. Let's get into it. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. I'm extremely excited to have you on the podcast today and the opportunity to chat with you. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to have a good chat and uh, just talk about life. Awesome. I appreciate you coming in. I know you're going on a flight early in the morning, so we'll obviously have a good chat before you head out. But for those who don't know Chris, Chris is a professional athlete who has been a successful quarterback, becoming a Venier Cup champion in 2017 and Heck Crichton Award winner in 2019, including playing abroad in Spain, Hungary and Australia. In this conversation, we're going to learn a little bit more about his childhood and family, the world of sport, including the challenges of being a professional athlete and of course, mental health. So let's start from the beginning. Walk me through kind of your childhood. I want to learn a little bit of that background. Yeah, I was born and raised in Calgary, uh, one of my favorite cities in the whole world. So uh, glad to be living here again and uh, raised by two amazing parents and uh, have a younger sister as well, who's uh, 18 months younger than me. So we had a really stable household. Uh, my parents did everything they could to support me and my sister. And obviously um, they did everything they could to help us get to where we are now and um, super thankful of that for that. Uh, went to high school in Calgary for a couple of years and then ended up going to a boarding school. And then university university took me down to the States and then back up to Western for a couple of years and then ended up all over the world. So, I mean, I've been a little bit everywhere. And uh, obviously that's a, a huge thanks to um, my childhood and what my parents did for me early on in life. So, yeah, for sure. Obviously, the, the, there's a lot to unravel there and we'll definitely get into a little bit deeper into that. You did mention right at the beginning that Calgary was like one of your favorite city in the world. Talk to me about that. How, how's Calgary your favorite city? What's what's made it become that? I think the big thing is the people. Uh, I think everybody here is just so amazing. And obviously, it's it's such a community. Uh, it's a big city, but it also feels like a small city in a way. Uh, kind of everybody knows everybody. And not only that, it's a great city in terms of uh, you got the rivers, the bow, the elbow, you got the mountains an hour and away. So there's a little bit of everything for anybody. And uh, I think that's what makes it so great. And obviously, um, it, it, it did really well back in the day with the oil and oil and gas industry, and it's continuing to evolve and do that. So I think it continues to just prove that it's one of the greatest cities in the world. And I love it. Yeah, I think obviously, it's, it's evident that a lot more people are moving here. Um, which I think is obviously a great thing. You know, the economy, the pricing of, of living as well is, is doing really good. And, you know, it's attracting a lot of people in, which, which you know, cities need so that they can grow. Let's 100%. let's take it back a little bit to, I know you talked about a little bit about school. Let's take it back to kind of the school area uh, era. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've have never gone to a school that hasn't given me an experience where it's kind of molded me into who I am. So, elementary school. I went to an elementary school in my neighborhood and loved it. And uh, I still have most of my friends in Calgary are from elementary school. They're just those people that I bonded with when I was a child and we still share so much in common. So love that. Then I ended up going to a, a sports school called Edge School uh, for middle school. Um, and it was outside of Calgary and they ended up building a whole new school um, kind of on the outskirts in Springbank, Calgary and played soccer then actually. I didn't play any football um, and thought that was going to be the rest of my life was soccer. 
and uh, loved that experience. And then it kind of just continued to mold me into who I wanted to become and ended up loving and falling in love with American football. What made you, tra- like you mentioned that you started in, in soccer and then you went into football. What made you kind of swap sports? I guess I did that when I was younger, started in football or soccer. Um, and then I went on to rugby and that was where my passion lied a little bit further. But what, what was kind of that change for you during your childhood? I think it was the um, the family feel that American football gave you. And I played at the highest level of soccer in Calgary and, and loved it. It was awesome. Um, we were uh, went to provincials and ended up um, being one of the top three teams in Alberta at the time. Uh, but it was so competitive and, and basically took up your life. And at that point, I wasn't in love with the sport. I was I really liked some of the guys, but it's, it was just not for me. Whereas football, I was starting to really enjoy it. I loved all the guys on my team. I loved the family atmosphere it gave you because there's 50 dudes and there's a little bit of something for everybody. Um, and so at that point, when I was about 14, 15 years old, I had to make the, the choice between the two sports because they were time commitment wise overlapping. And I ended up just choosing football because I figured not only was it making me happier at the time, but I knew that there was more of a future in it in terms of going down to college in the States and there was more money in it. And I just figured that might be where my future is. Did you feel at all at the time that there was there any pressure from your parents to go into that sport or even the society? Like you said, there was a lot of family support. The community started to work, to work towards that type of sport. Was there any pre- that type of pressure? I wouldn't say there was any pressure. I mean, there was pressure for myself because I knew that I wanted to be successful in either one. And if I continued with both, then I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I think it was just more the the pressure of what was going to help me pay for school and go to the top university that I could go to and um, set myself up for life later on. So if there was any pressure, I would say it would be there, but not really in terms of from my parents or anything like that. My parents have always just, they've supported me 100% with my choices and they back me 100% and then they'll do whatever they can to support me based on that. Yeah, I love that. Another thing, obviously, in doing that transition from a sport that's with your feet mainly and then you go to a sport with your hands, was that a difficult transition as well? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, soccer was great because it helped me with my coordination and it helped me do that. And I was actually a kicker in American football as well uh, when I was younger and kind of continued to do that throughout my career. But um, it was just football always came naturally to me and being a quarterback kind of came naturally. And then I did a lot of training in terms of specific training for being a quarterback. And the two really, really complemented each other in terms of footwork and being able to react on different different uh, planes of playing surfaces, I guess you'd say. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of in that terms, they're very different sports, but at the same time, change of direction, quick reaction. It's very similar. So that helped a lot. For sure. Before we go into kind of the university life, you mentioned you've got a sister. Is she younger or older? She's younger. Okay. Is she into sports as well? Is this like a family kind of thing? Everyone's into sports? A little bit. Um, My sister was more of a dancer growing up and okay. did a little bit of soccer as well. And she always did that probably mostly because of me. She watched her older brother and yeah. and wanted to, to do that as well. But she uh, was a great dancer. She went to edge school as well and did that. And uh, was a was a great graceful dancer and I, I loved going to watch her perform um, but no I wouldn't say it was like a family thing and it was just one of those things where I fell in love with sport from an early age and it was one of those things I connected with right away and my life has never felt complete without it so um, now I'm I'm learning to transition because that's yeah. the next part of my life without it but uh, I know that it will always be a part of my life in some way whether that's coaching or 
or whatever is next, um, I know I want to be involved with it. Yeah, I think obviously we'll go into kind of the transitioning that you're going into at the moment. But I think sport, like everyone knows, whether they played it professionally or just in school, there's a lot of key aspects to that type of team role um, or even single sports, right, that you can take into all parts of your life, whether that's work or friendships, relationships. Um, so you definitely can learn a lot there. I want to learn a little bit more about kind of the university life and again, transitioning into that as you're growing up and then going into sports. But tell me about kind of your life in university. What did you go in and study and try and remove almost the, the football part away from it and then talk to me how you transitioned into the football? Yeah. So when I went down to the States, I went to the University of Buffalo and, and it was always my dream to, to kind of go Ivy League because I had always been a, a high. It was it was stressed in our family to do well in academics. Um, I'd always wanted to go why? Ivy League. I'm good. Why was this? You said it was stress? It, it was a it was an important part of our lifestyle, okay. I guess you'd say, because okay. uh, my parents always thought it was just very important for I think for them growing up. It was always um, they were they were told that it's important to get a degree and do what they can. Um, I think that was just part of their lifestyle. And then that moved on to they were telling us it was important for us to try to get a degree. And it just they felt that it set you up um, a little bit better in life. And I think now we're learning that there are other options and there are other pathways you can go. But in terms of what my parents told me and what they tried to help me with, that was the best thing for us. So but was that difficult for you, though? Because I know you said like you were obviously focused on sports, but then you get pushed down the academic route. How, how was that for you? It was it was a little difficult, but I think with especially American football, they go hand in hand because you really can't play at a high level of American football without doing academics and without succeeding at academics. I think they kind of complement each other in a way. So for me, that was always just the pathway. It was go to the best school you could go to. And that will also help you kind of become the best football player you can be as well as play on the best team. So they complemented each other. And um, obviously I'm super grateful for my experiences and they've, it's taken me all over the place, but yeah, I started at Buffalo and um, started studying biology because I wanted to go to med school actually at, at first. And, uh, and then from there, when I, when I transferred to Western, they actually took all of my credits, which was two years worth of credits. And they, they took some of them like organic chemistry and said, we can transfer that as an arts credit, something like that. Ouch. So yeah, it hurt <laughs> a lot. And, and there were classes that I didn't want to retake because they were not only difficult, but I didn't find the content very interesting. Sure. So I ended up transferring into uh, kinesiology instead. And I still wanted to do something in terms of the human body and kind of learn about movement and stuff like that. Um, wasn't sure what I'd do with it later on, but I knew that it was something that I was interested in and that I could use in terms of my training and stuff like that for sport. But uh, yeah, that's what I ended up uh, graduating with was a, a Bachelor of Arts in Kinesiology. And uh, so far, I haven't really used it very much. <laughs> but uh, it's still again, it helps me with my training and, and maintaining my health. So I I'm grateful for that in that way. Yeah, for sure. I don't think you're the only one that hasn't used their education. But um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Want to learn about, I guess, key moments during your childhood. So this is probably university time. I talk about a little bit more that what you participated within that childhood period that em enabled you to, I guess, become the professional athlete that you've become. Obviously, we'll go into how you became that, that, that person. But I want to kind of know, was there a bit of a tipping point during the phases of growing up that made you realize that, OK, there's, a, there's something a little bit more here that I've got or I can give to sport? Yeah, I think it would have been um, kind of my transition to edge school from from elementary. 
And that was when I really noticed that I was kind of maybe a little bit um, higher competitiveness, really wanted to take sport maybe higher than other people uh, and, and possibly had a little bit more athleticism overall. Um, just because I was playing Division One soccer at the point, I knew I was playing at the highest level there and, and it was teaching me things in terms of my life that I was using in the classroom and other things like that in terms of preparation and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that was kind of the turning point and, and noticing that I wanted to take sport to the next level and continue it higher on and, and trying to reach different steps as you go. So uh, from there, it was just continuing to take it as far as I could. For sure. There's obviously a lot of difficulties we also experienced during our childhood. What was a difficult time for you that, that you experienced? For me, it would have been uh, perfection. I think it was always when you're, when you're striving for that next step and always reaching to get to that next point, uh, you can kind of, especially as a young kid, get confused with uh, what it takes to reach that. And for me, it was I became a perfectionist to the point where my mental health became a huge issue. And uh, when I was in the seventh grade, I had to go see a, a therapist because I was um, it, it transferred into my my academics where I was writing things down and erasing them um, to the point where I was wearing the paper through like I would erase it so many times that there'd be holes in the paper. Wow. Because it, it was just like, oh, that letter doesn't look good enough. Or I'd be turning light switches on and off because I said, oh, there's not the thought that I want to think about. Did it become, was it like OCD? Did yeah. Did it become that way? Yeah, it was okay. like an OCD perfectionist kind of thing. And it was funny because I went to this therapist and we had gone a couple of times and I basically had asked her straight up, I said, what does it take for me not to come back to the to the therapist? Because I didn't like it very much. Sure. And now well, as i did you, What up, did you not like about it? Like, I think it was hard for me to be vulnerable, but I also didn't, I didn't like as a kid not, being, I guess, to me, it was it was also almost a form of perfection. It was it was sh showing that I wasn't the perfect person. I guess you would say having to go to therapy. And now that I've grown up and learned that that's not true at all. I mm -hmm. think therapy is so important. And I think whether you get that through your friends or you go to a professional, whatever it is, I think that's crazy important because I think everybody could use it in their lives. But for me, at when I was what, 13, 14 years old and didn't really understand the, the depth of it, I guess you would say. Sure. So it was really, really difficult for me to grasp. And, and basically she said, well, you just need to practice habits that continue to help your life just flow in a better state, I guess you would say. So there, I still have habits that I use that, I mean, the light switch thing still happens for me, but I'm able to control it to the point. I saw where, you do that on the way in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it on a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I was exactly. like, what is he doing? <laughs> the lights are on. Now, we'll definitely get into, you know, I want to talk a little bit deeper into that and, and kind of the habits you've created, you know, whether that was through your therapist or over time. Obviously, being in a, you know, professional athlete, environment there's so many pressures that i think about and specifically probably the locker room was probably a difficult one was there ever a difficulty in the locker room like you mentioned you you may not have even said anything about mental health or sports people tend to keep they've got that bravado and they want to keep things in was there ever a difficulty that that came with that aspect i never really uh noticed anything personally i think for me uh there were certain people that I stayed away from in the locker room. There were certain people that I, I gravitated towards. Um, but I never noticed a form of, uh, I would say, bullying or, or um, I, but, it, but you're right, it's not talked about very much. I think it's just kind of swept under the rug and 
people just don't talk about it as much as they can. And I think in that sense, locker rooms aren't as healthy as they could be. The relationships you have aren't as great as they could be. So to the point where I think, I don't think locker rooms are unhealthy, but I don't think locker rooms are as healthy as they could be. And there's obviously guy talk and there's, I'm sure in, in lo girls locker rooms, there's girl talk and things that kind of are just known to stay between people. And maybe that's not very healthy as well. But at the same time, I think that it's just one of those things that I don't know if that will ever change. And that's just continuing. Um, you just have to continue to grow as a person and understand what's okay and what's not. And, and then take that into your own locker room, wherever that is. So. Yeah, I agree. Obviously that is evident. Was there ever a time for you as well where, obviously I feel like it's a very selfish place because everyone's trying to get to the top. Did it feel like the people around you could be quite selfish in, in I guess, the work they're doing? Absolutely. Um, the, that's the thing, especially when you're at a high level, like a division one school, um, everybody is competing for your spot or everybody's competing for a spot and um, everybody's friends. But at the same time, that friend of yours could bump you out of your starting spot or move above the depth chart. So there's always that competitiveness, which in a way is a little bit unhealthy, but that's an, in terms of like, that's kind of like society too. I think sure. that, um, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes we try to move away from it and we're, we're trying to say that everybody is needs to be nicer to each other and stuff. But let's be honest at a certain point, there's always a level of competition in society or whether you're working with people or, or whatnot. And Honestly, I think that's healthy because it pushes people to be the best person they can be or the best version of themselves. But at the same time, um, we just need to find balance and continue to build relationships that are healthy and, and go from there. Yeah, I mean, sport wouldn't be sport if it didn't have that competitiveness, right? It would be pretty boring to watch if that wasn't involved. And Absolutely. it's a difficult thing to balance for sure. And, and especially, you know, behind the scenes when there's that competition that's driving each other to success and money and things like that. It's, a, it's definitely a difficult environment. I want to rewind a little bit just so people can understand potentially how you even became a pro footballer. I think that's kind of a, an interesting conversation to have. Of you know, Even for me, I don't really understand the, the pattern or route you need to take in order for that to happen. Everyone has their own pattern. But do you want to just take me through a little bit about the route that you took that made you kind of get to the top? Yeah, definitely. So I was fortunate enough. Uh, I went to high school in Calgary, didn't play for a very good team. And then I ended up playing for team Alberta, which was like the provincial team. We went to a, um, Canada cup. It was the national championship. All the provinces compete from there. I got a scholarship to a boarding school. Um, that was a way better football program and did that. And what a lot of kids are doing now is going down to the States and going to these prep schools and stuff like that. So in, in a way it was that, but I stayed in Canada. And then from there I was fortunate enough to get great coaching, continue to develop, go down to camps in the US and I got a scholarship to a division one school in the States. And that's when I went to Buffalo for two years. My whole coaching staff got fired and that's why I ended up transferring. Um, it was just an, a constant why, uphill battle. Why did they get fired? What was uh, they? We didn't have the the season that I guess was okay. expected of the team performance. And, and yeah, at at a Division One level, when you don't have a season that you're expected to have, most of the time the coaching staff goes pretty quickly. So um, when the new coaches came in, uh, they brought their own recruits. They did whatever they could, and it just felt like I was fighting an uphill battle. So went to Western instead, and uh, there was a whole transfer process that took forever, but. It, it, Western was the best place for me. I knew it. I felt it in my bones and I just figured right away I'd go in and, and have the opportunity to compete to, to start. Went there for four years, had a great career, loved every second of it. It was fun, had a great social life, great academics. And I think that's the three things you should look for when going to school. And then from there, 
I got a chance in the CFL with the Montreal Alouettes in 2019. Um, when I was in camp with them, uh, my head, my head coach got fired, my GM got fired and they ended up sending me back for my last year of school, had a great year there. And that's where I won the heck Crichton. Um, and I, in my last game tore all the ligaments in my foot. And from there I was kind of like a liability. So the CFL didn't resign me and I felt like I had more to give to football. I didn't want to be done with it. So I ended up looking for other routes and what might be out there. And it ended up being that Europe was the best thing for me because not only was it, um, I would say more of a relaxed form of professional football, but it gave me the opportunity to travel, which I always wanted to do. So, yeah. And you mentioned like coaches getting fired. And so was there ever times of interactions where it became difficult? I guess I'm trying to get at, was there ever personalities that you didn't get along with within the coaching teams? Definitely. Uh, especially at Buffalo. I think that was the, the toughest interactions was um, when you when you come in with a coaching staff that you that believed in you and, and that recruited you and then they get fired or or decide to leave. And these coaches that you've had no interactions with come in and especially at a level where they're trying to always constantly move up in the world as well. Um, they are constantly looking for more pay the higher level of football so they try to bring in their recruits because if they can develop their own recruits that looks great for them so constantly you're battling with these relationships with coaches that maybe aren't always the best but you do what you can and you have to try to maintain a good relationship because otherwise you're never going to play so you you always at every level of football there's a level of politics or just in sport in general and I think in other things as well there's a level of politics so it's a matter of just learning how to deal with that. And sometimes if it's not the right place for you, go somewhere else because at a certain point, there's nothing you can do. Every, certain things are out of your control and you have to go somewhere where you feel more comfortable. Yeah, and I think you've got to have that confidence as well to take that move, right? And say, this isn't the right place for me. Where can I make the move that's going to be the right place? Like you said, when you went to Western, you realized that those three pillars, you needed those to be successful. You could have a great coach, but if another one of the coaches wasn't great or great to you, it's, it causes friction, right? And it's very difficult to, to move past that. You mentioned a little bit about kind of, I think it was sponsorship um, or funding, I guess. How do you support yourself during, you know, I guess, training phases and trying to become that pro athlete? Because I feel like a lot of people, not just in football, but any sport, sometimes fail when it comes to the money part and, and funding that you need. Did you get sponsorships? Was, was, were you funded through schools? How did that work for you? So in terms of school, a lot of it was scholarships. Um, I went to a lot of um, schools that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford on my own. And that was one of the reasons why I never went to an Ivy League was because I couldn't afford. Uh, they don't offer athletic scholarships. They only do financial aid. And we were kind of in the middle of it. So they would never give us what you needed to pay for school. Uh, whereas I earned an athletic scholarship to, to Buffalo. I learned an I earned an athletic scholarship uh, to Western. So there were things that helped me pay for things. And then in terms of my training prior to that, it was literally thanks to my parents. And that's what I owe a lot of my, um, my career to is my parents supporting me and doing whatever they could to allow me to continue uh, succeeding in sport and, um, and not only sport, but continue to succeed in life as well, because it was such a major part of my life. And I don't think my mental health would have been as good. I don't think I would have developed into the person I am today without it. So 
I owe a lot of it to them. And then even after I was done with university, um, pro football in Europe and, and elsewhere isn't really sustainable. And there are parts of your life where you definitely need help and support. And um, I've been lucky enough where they've helped me with that. And they've said, as long as I continue to enjoy it and um, and succeed with it in a way, they would they would be there for me. And um, and it's I finally got to that point where I said, I don't want that to happen anymore. I want I want to be uh, self-sustainable and stuff like that. So that's part of the reason why I ended up retiring and, and choosing what to move on to next. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of parents sacrifice so much for children in sport. I think you see it a lot. And then, you know, when those kids finally make it, they're in the NHL or whatever it is, you see how it starts to turn around a little bit and the appreciation of obviously what they sacrificed to make them the person they were. It's very difficult. You know, if there's money involved or time and going to your games, that takes a lot of obviously a parent's life that's trying to, you know, be successful and sustain the family. So I, I love that parents are able to do that sacrifice, but it's it's a lot. And I want to move on to a bit about kind of how you are a high performing person. So this obviously covers sport, but just in general, um, I know we've talked a bit previously behind the scenes about kind of what qualities do you need? What I want to know is what do you think those qualities are to, you know, to be a successful athlete or person in general? And then I also want to know, do you have a specific routine that you kind of had in sport that you created a habit that created these qualities? Yeah, I think it's a really, really tough question because I think there are so many different ways to succeed in not only sport, but life as well. And and being a high performing person is um, a very broad range, I guess you would say, because there are different ways to succeed, not only in sport, in life, in whatever you're doing. So I think in terms of that, it's just about doing the right things. And I think the most important part is creating relationships with people that are good. I think in sport, in life, um, whatever you're doing, the people that you meet um, will help you succeed because and, and, and creating relationships that last as well. Uh, one of the lessons my mom told me uh, when I was younger is never burn a bridge with somebody. Even if you are in disagreement with them, even if maybe you a little bit of hate for them or something like that, never completely burn the bridge because you never know one in life, they might be able to help you or they may be, might be able to teach you something. So I think in terms of becoming a high performance athlete, you can never do it on your, on your own. I think you need help from other people. Um, so I think that's been the greatest lesson for me is to continue to not only um, create those relationships, but ask for help. And, and ask for help from other people who um, have gone through things that you've never gone through or have, have um, been in situations that you've never had to be in. So I think that's the biggest thing I've had to learn. And, and I continue to try to develop qualities that will help those relationships. And I think it's, it's one of those things that's going to continue developing for the rest of my life. I don't think anybody's ever going to be a perfect at creating relationships and, and maintaining relationships with anybody. But uh, I know that's helped me a lot and uh, it continues to, to be a major part of my life. Yeah, I agree. I think when you look at any sports figure in the world, when they get awards, they always put it back to the people that were around them, right? Their circle, their inner circle of how they got support. And even through childhood, when I look back at the sports I did, I couldn't have played half the sports if I didn't get the, the uniform, for example, to just go to a game or the boots that you needed that support alone and then obviously the friends that you've got within that team there's people you like there's people that you don't like yeah. and that's how you really progress and kind of find yourself within within teams and 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 the environment there as well 
I want to learn a little bit about, I guess, kind of what's the hardest part about being an athlete. Now, I'm sure there's tons of pros and cons, obviously, within the industry of sports. But what what do you think's the the hardest part about it? The hardest thing for me would be um, almost never being in one place for for a long time, um, because sport obviously takes you so many different places, and and I think that's also one of the positives of it, because you get to see so much of the world and and meet so many different amazing people. But it's hard to create relationships that last a long time. Um, I think moving around in terms of friendships. And uh, when I moved away from Calgary, uh, when I moved from my high school, there were a lot of people that I don't know if resentment is the right word, but maybe looked at me poorly in in a way where I felt like I was abandoning them or something like that. And so I lost a lot of my friendships then. Um, And then same thing when you when you move from high school to university, you create new relationships and you kind of fall out of touch with people. So it's very difficult for me to maintain, I would say, a lot of different friendships. But you really find out who I would say your your best friends are. I was about to say, you probably have now, though, when you think about it, you've got a handful of people that you know you can always turn to. But I think that's just general in life. You know, obviously, that there's the difficulties of you traveling and moving away, and you're always going to have that. But when you look back, the older you get, your friends become less and less. Yeah. And the ones that are the true friends always stick around, right? And even when I've traveled, it's a very similar situation, although mine wasn't for sport. It, it's the same. You know, I've still got friends, great friends in England. Um, and I really could just go back to England and just catch up, even if we haven't spoke to a year. And they're solid friends, but they may not be a day-to-day friend where I'm able to speak to them. And I think that's the exact same. You should be able to go back into a place that you may have lived previously um, and then build up that friendship again, you know, very, very quickly. Um, but I know it's not easy to do. Some people find that it is kind of that abandonment and they feel like it's something against them. But yet you get to an age where you realize everyone's kind of chasing their own dreams and you do try and keep those people in your life, but it's not always the easiest thing to do, right? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Do you think, do you kind of believe that that's the biggest challenge for athletes in general? The kind of moving around the friendship side of things? Do you think there's other challenges that, that may be at the forefront? I think there's definitely other challenges. I mean, we talked about locker room talk and we talked about some of the toxicity of, um, what can happen there and I think that was another big thing that got me in trouble and and that I had to learn from is uh just knowing what's right and wrong because there's a lot of in between uh that you learn from maybe some of the guys that are going through a lot of the stuff that you're going through and they don't know what's right and wrong but at the time they think it's right and then all of a sudden you're convinced that it's okay and and you do things that maybe you regret and you learn from but at the same time it's really difficult but you're with those people that are constantly they're looking at I would say these high performance athletes that there's this lifestyle of spending lots of money, um, going out and, and having big parties and doing all of that and then cheating on their girlfriends, like things like that that are really, really toxic, um, but that are almost made to look okay at certain points. What's it like being in the environment? You know, you mentioned toxicity, but what's it like in the environment, especially if you're seeing people cheating, you know, the sports world in general, I feel like you know, there can be, again, a lot of bravado. They're trying to be this best person famous, however you want to look at it. And you're surrounded by quite some negative things that go on, whether that's behind the locker room or at the forefront. What was that like for you to deal with if you're not that type of person? It's difficult. I mean, it it really influences you. It really does. It's hard. It's hard to say, yeah, I stayed away from all that. It didn't affect me at all because it does. Uh, when you're hearing it all the time and you're doing it and it's, it's something that you really can't avoid. 
And it's just a matter of surrounding yourself with the best people you can. You could, you could really mix in with that crowd and become that person, or you could try to find better people to be around because again, you're a product of your environment and the product you, of, of the people you surround yourself with. I'm, I truly, truly believe that. And, uh, and I think that that's just a major part of it is finding the right people to be around and people that, that help you grow as well. Not, not bring you down they they lift you up and help you to be the best version of yourself could it feel lonely at any times if you're trying to i guess pull away from the people that are being a certain way and you know it, it is an atmosphere where you can be easily influenced what did that look like for you was there ever a lonely time where you had to kind of draw draw yourself away and say that's not me you know and I, I really need to just concentrate on my sport here and pull away from potentially what were friends um that were going down a different route yeah, there were lines that had to be drawn, and and obviously, um, probably friendships that I strained, and and there were friends, and I and I saw on the other side of it where I was being toxic, and friends had to pull away from me. It went both ways. So, um, I've seen a little bit of both, and obviously, it's it's really difficult either way. Uh, it can definitely feel lonely. I think that's a great word uh, for it, and uh, and that can affect your mental health too. And and depression comes in, and all, anxieties, all these things. Like I'm not good enough. So I think that's really, really hard. But at the same time, um, like I said, if you find the right people to surround yourself with, then that kind of negates that. And it helps bring you back up and, and you start doing the right things again and you start finding your niche. And uh, I think that's what's most important. Yeah, and I think it's obviously evident that you were able to do that. You were able to differentiate those differences and then move forward and, and say, you know, sometimes you do have to lose those friendships to be able to to move forward in your own way and, and, you know, become successful on the flip side of that, obviously there's pressures, which we've talked about a little bit already, but I want to know what was the most pressurized situation for you. Now, I know there's obviously the root of typical big games and, you know, that throw, that pass you've got to make, but what else was, was pressurized for you? Uh, that's, that's a tough question. Like all, yeah. all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's, I mean, especially when you're put in the spotlight, if you're the starting quarterback or whatever. And, and not only that, but again, I talked about how important academics were in my family. So it was important to succeed in not only one area of your life, but multiple. Uh, so I think the pressures of that kind of build up on you. Um, and again, I think it's just about understanding that it's okay to ask for help. Um, and I think that, uh, that relieved a lot of that pressure and that helped me understand that I'm not alone in it and that there are people that can kind of help me carry the weight of all of that. Uh, for me, for football, it was my teammates, knowing that I wasn't the only guy in the field and understanding that if I got into the hands of my teammate, they'd do the rest in school. If it, it was like asking my teachers for extensions. And I remember having a lot of classmates saying, oh, you're getting favored, you're, you're doing whatever because you're, you're an athlete and you're a football player. And I said, how many times have you actually just gone up and said, hey, I have things going on, gone on going on in my life. I need an extension. I need a little more time. Um, I'm not feeling great, things like that. And they said, well, I've never had to. And I said, well, I had to this week. Like it was a really difficult week for me. And, and they said, absolutely no worries. So I think it's just about putting yourself out there and understanding that there are people that want to help if you ask the right questions and you, again, create relationships that are good ones. Yeah. I think that again, good, good insight. I'm sure a lot of people, again, not just in sports, can relate to those types of experiences. Let's talk a bit about, I guess, living abroad. Obviously, we talked at the beginning, you've been in Hungary, you were in Spain, you are in Australia, probably all different experiences. Um, been to Spain, I've been to Australia, not in the same aspect that you've been, and we can go into that for sure. But what was your experience like 
living or I guess moving away obviously you told me you leave you left behind your friends um, and kind of what you've only ever known which was Calgary or Canada what were the defining experience that, that you had there what was kind of the emotions of being able to move away I was ready for it I think I think that's the best way to say it I had lived away from home since I was 16 because like I said I went to a boarding school and done that but it was kind of my first time like you said away from really being away I didn't have anybody I knew I wasn't in Canada where I was comfortable and uh, all of that. So, um, but every experience was completely unique in its own way. Uh, Spain was during COVID and I remember flying into the biggest snowstorm Spain had ever had in 50 <laughs> years. And it was the funny, yeah, it, it felt like I had fl- flown out of Canada and just done a circle and come right back. <laughs> yeah. But uh, nobody spoke English at the same time. So it was a little different. Uh, and then Hungary was, I mean, that was we were right next to when Russia invaded Ukraine and it was a little bit scary in that aspect. And then when I went to Australia, it wasn't a, a, a high level of football, I would say, but the people were amazing and the relationships I created there are, are definitely ones I value. And so everyone, I took something and uh, tried to learn from it and tried to take, but it definitely made me uncomfortable being in each situation, but you just kind of learn to put yourself out there and, uh, and kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, I think you you can't go any other way, right? When you you land there, like you said, a snowstorm, you've just got to deal with the environment you're in and learn from that. And that probably makes you a better sportsman as well, right? Being in an uncomfortable but comfortable environment teaches you so much about life. Obviously, the places that you went, what was kind of your favorite place? Was there one particular that you had a favorite? Was the one that you was your least favorite? I don't know about least favorite or favorite. I mean, it was... Spain was tough because it was during COVID. So I didn't really get to experience a lot. I I saw a lot of Madrid and I thought Madrid was an amazing city. I loved it. Lots of culture and art. Um, But again, I wasn't really able to go anywhere. There was a curfew. I couldn't travel to all the countries I wanted to go to, like Portugal and France and uh, all these cities that I've heard amazing things about. And then when I went to Hungary, everything was open again. And I was able to travel a lot more and see Budapest and Austria and uh, went to Italy. So I think that was more of a full experience for me. So I, I enjoyed that overall experience more. And then Australia was tough because I only got to spend a little bit of time there before I blew out my knee. And um, it was just kind of a rough experience because they had gone through the wettest uh, wettest winter they had ever gone through. And then they were transitioning into the wettest summer that they were, they'd seen in a long time. So lots of rain. So that made the experience a little different. But so I think overall, my, my best experience was Hungary. I loved it. Loved the people. I'd made a ton of great friends. But I also loved Spain. So Europe to me was amazing. Interesting. It's interesting because I I kind of was looking at these and I'm like, he's probably going to say Australia. You know, everyone has that passion to kind of go, I'm flying out to Australia, the other side of the world. But obviously in Europe, there's so many small places that are just really cool. You can, you know, really experience a different side of life when you get into kind of, you almost stop being a tourist, right? When you move somewhere, you're not a tourist anymore. You have to be in intertwined into how the how they live, and that's definitely something that you can you can learn um, as you progress there. Yeah, the history was amazing, and and just seeing kind of all the different architecture in each different city. Prague was unbelievable. I'll never forget just walking through the streets and being mind blown every street corner you turned around. So. I think that was amazing for me and, and maybe that's just my personality as I love the history of Europe and, and doing that. But I also love the challenge of being in a place where a lot of people didn't speak English and you had to 
find other ways to communicate can with you speak people. Another, can you speak another language? I can speak a tiny bit of Spanish. Just kind of like okay. intros. Let me, and Let me hear it. Hola, me llamo Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's beauty. Beauty. I can't speak any language. So every, I just ask every time if someone says they can do it, I'm like, okay, pressure's on. Um, but I want to talk about, again, you mentioned it, friendships and relationships. Obviously, being in a different time zone, being in those different countries, not knowing when, how long you're going to be there. How did you maintain friendships or relationships how did you even maintain that if you knew you were in a place for a certain amount of time then you could be moving on what did that look like in terms of maintaining relationships back home it was again finding the people that you really really cared about and, and maybe you don't talk to them as much as you talk to them when you're home but checking in every once in a while and they would do the same with me and just maintaining that relationship in a way and then in terms of knowing that I wouldn't be in a in a city in Europe for too long but trying to create relationships that would last as well uh, it was just, again, about knowing that these people could be people that you see again down the road in maybe 10, 15 years and you're traveling Europe and you, you hit them up and say, hey, I'm going to be in town for two weeks. Do you want to meet up and do that? And, and I know that we'd be able to pick up right where we left off. So I think that was super important to me was just building relationships the best I could, knowing that I wouldn't see them again for a long time, but hoping that one day we'd be able to see each other and pick each other up and pick off where we, we we left off basically so yeah again i feel like there's so many sacrifices if you're trying to get to the top i mean they talk a lot about in sports how lonely athletes can be because they've lost all those friendships by traveling they've got to train 24 7 their mind is constantly on the game and that's very difficult right to to and especially for other people because again they look at it as, as abandonment and why am I not involved in their life? But they don't realize, especially when you've got that competitive nature of where that drive comes from and how you get to kind of that next level. I think that's that can be difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, it's something that you kind of just either you accept or you don't and you use it and, and use it as fuel and, and, and do whatever you can to uh, to make the best friends you can or you can let it uh, impact you in a negative way and that can really affect your negative mental health and stuff like that. So I think it's how you use it and how you continue to um, go about your your training and, and building relationships with people. Yeah, and I think also, you know, the friendships probably don't understand the stability part of it. So we talked again behind the scenes of it's so competitive within sport, but usually it's not that sustainable for a long time. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is because it is so competitive, everyone's trying to become this best pro athlete and get to the top but yet sometimes it only lasts so long I want to talk to to about that a little bit and the stability obviously of you not knowing in sport what what has that been like for you that was one of the hardest parts too is knowing that my career could be over at any time and and I've finally reached that point and I think it's been really difficult for me but also knowing that I've been preparing myself for it for a few years now um, but I've always known the one line that every coach, every good coach has ever told me is um, you don't get to play football for very long. And that's the same with other sports as well, but especially football because of how physical it is and, and how many hits you could take. And do you think it's luck? Because obviously people do play sports for a long time, but like Tom Brady, for example, he's been in it for years. Do you think it's luck that they just don't get the injuries or they get the funding or whatever it may be? for them to be able to get through. Cause like you said, there's thousands, well, millions of people trying to reach that, but only a few do reach that top point. I think 
in, in terms of luck, there's definitely an element to it. You have to be at the right place at the right time. And I think that's the same thing in the business world in terms of finding a great job that you love and maybe you continue to work in your the rest of your life. Um, I think it's just being the right place, the right time, meeting the right people. Uh, but you also have to be prepared for that opportunity, whatever that is. So there's obviously that element of hard work and preparation as well. So it's the combination. Um, and then in terms of longevity, it's just, it's partly luck too. It's, it's about, did you take an unlucky hit? I mean, Tom Brady took one, I don't know, 10 years ago where he tore his ACL as well. And just someone rolled down into him. Um, and Joe Burrow is one of the up and coming guys sustained an ACL injury as well. If that happens again, like would their career be over? I don't know, but there are definitely certain people who just get lucky and never get injured and continue, continue playing for a long time. So everybody's different. Everybody's experience is different. For me, I took it as far as I could and, and did whatever I could in terms of going playing in Europe and in Australia. And for me, that was kind of the highest level I reached. I was trying to continue to go higher and higher and higher. And, uh, finally my body said enough is enough. And, and time, uh, has told me that, um, if I continue going down that path, it just wouldn't set me up for later on in life. I might have great relationships all over the world, but in terms of having the stability in my life that I want, it's not going to be there. So I decided that it's time to, to give it up and, and move back home to Calgary. Yeah. And I think obviously you can tell you're in a good headspace that you've come to that, that terms now, and it's obviously not an easy process. And again, seeing or experiencing that's going to be a lot more difficult than people listening to, to that. But we, we do want to talk about obviously the injuries you've gone through, but I do want to focus a bit on the pressures of society, obviously, and what they put on you and how it's so much more amplified in sport. Again, this can come up to the success of how people make it. Talk to me about kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think society puts that pressure on, um, pressure on people about getting a good career and, and making a lot of money and, and living a stable lifestyle in a, in a place. And obviously there are people that um, stray away from that and do their own thing and have a lot of success as well. But for the most part, I think the general consensus is stability is great. And uh, so for me, uh, there were so many people in my life that told me that you can, you can find a good job and you can, and you can be in one place for years and years to come. There's only so many years you can just take to travel and enjoy your life and, and go play. I mean, like we talked about, sport is a very, very short-term thing. You can only do it for so long, and usually you can only do it when you're young. So for me, that was, I did it for a few years. I did what I set out to do, and now it's time for me to listen to the, the pressures of society, I guess you would say, and find something that I enjoy doing after sport and, and find the stability that I've been looking for because... I've lived a bit of a nomad lifestyle and, and had a little bit of chaos in my life and I loved it. It was great for what it was, but now I've, I want to move on to something different. For sure. Obviously you've reached that tipping point, you know, injuries have come up and we, we want to talk about kind of what injuries you've got and how that determined, I guess, your decision. Um, so let's talk a bit about kind of that transition and how you transitioning from sport into the other aspects of your life, what that includes. But First of all, talk to me about the injuries. Talk to me about the tipping point that created the, the position you're in right now. Yeah, so I've had, I mean, injuries throughout my lifestyle, rolled ankles, broken ankles, torn shoulders. Uh, but then my major three, uh, when I was in college, I tore all the ligaments in my left foot. Then when I was in Spain, I tore my ACL in the championship. And then uh, in Australia, I tore my ACL and meniscus again in the same knee. And uh, being a kinesiology student, I know that the 
the stats from coming back from a second ACL are, are not great and it your chances of re-injury continue to go up every time you get surgery so for me it was just the risk to reward wasn't there and it was time for me to find what makes me happy after sport and again it's bittersweet because I loved playing football and I loved what it did for my life and how happy it made me uh, but I also know how difficult it is to um have surgery and wait nine months to go back and play and continue to kind of postpone the rest of your life. So for me, that was the tipping point and knowing that um, I just wasn't prepared to wait until I was 29 to start playing football again and do that and uh, and then maybe be 31 by the time I find a job back home and and do that. So you've obviously come to, you know, you've come to terms that that's your decision. But what, how do you, I guess, decide what's next? Now, obviously, it probably feels like the drawing board, right? It's like, I've, you know, I've got this education. I've done this in sports. I've tried to get as far as I can. And then you've got to start thinking about, you know, whether that's a corporate life or that different side side of the world. Um, what's the thought process been there? And, and how have you kind of come to, come to terms with moving on to something different? For me, it's hard because I've never really known what I'm going to do after sport. And uh, I think it's been really, really hard to find what that is. And what's what I know I have to do is something that makes me happy. I know for me, I wouldn't be able to sit in an office job where I'm working alone every day and just doing my own thing and not interacting with people. So I think that was where I started. And then the next step was leveraging some of the connections and, and some of the relationships that, again, I've tried to continue to foster and grow over the years and uh and then just kind of look for what kind of the combination of those two can help me find and I'm not 100% sure what that will be next but I'm hoping in the next few months we'll we'll have a, a legit answer and we'll go from there yeah for sure obviously it's, it's it's a difficult time right you've got to kind of think about I think for you probably take about the pros and cons of what was in team sports right you've taken everything that you've learned from football and that that can be applied into a lot of different industries. Um, and, you know, finding the right one for you, it's, it's, it's an exciting time because you're able to explore different opportunities and, and career aspects as well, right? Yeah. Definitely. So let's, um, let's talk about mental health. I know obviously mental health typically in, in all of my episodes tends to slowly creep up along a lot of the conversations that I have. And I, I try to really keep a part of it that I, that is really tailored to mental health so that we can, kind of focus and get a little bit deeper on those conversations. But I guess just opening it up, talk to me a little bit about some of the mental struggles that you've gone through. Um, and then also talk to me like we did at the beginning about the strategies that you've created. Yeah, I think the the struggles that I went through obviously started with the OCD and um, the perfectionism. And then that kind of obviously when I learned about it, it, it stems from anxiety. And, and then obviously there are points where I get, I definitely get seasonal depression. Um, and then I've dealt with depression when I'm not playing sport and, and recovering from injury and stuff like that. So there's, I mean, different aspects of it and different levels. And I've, I've felt to the point where again, um, I was, uh, when I was really young, I was to the point of hurting myself because I was, it was just so miserable to be doing things over and over and over again to the point where it would take me five hours to do homework that should have taken 20 minutes when you say young how old it was like 13 14 so not not a child but i was kind of in my teens and um middle school do you mind me asking when you said you considered what did that look like for you 
for me, that was just like, um, like banging my head really hard against things and like trying that to me, that was like, I didn't want, did I, you didn't, feel I like wasn't you, suicidal. Okay. The, you didn't want to not, okay. no, I didn't want to end my life, but I was, I was, I think getting to that point okay. where if it continued for years without help that I definitely would have gotten to that point because I knew how dangerous and how, um, I was a danger to myself in a way because again, I'm a, uh, athletic, strong person and knowing like, if I bang my head against the wall, I'll be doing it pretty hard. Um, so there were definitely points where um, it was just not not a good experience for me, and I and I knew that I had to get help, and my parents knew that I had to get help too. What did was it your parents that noticed first and said, "Hey, you need to get help"? Did you notice that something was different in the way you were acting? I noticed for sure, um, and then that stemmed into them noticing. Uh, I think it was just they realized how big of a difference in my life. Um, the perfectionism had taken over to the point where, again, I wasn't able to finish a lot of my homework. I wasn't able to do things. And um, it just like affected every part of my life, sports, sleep, uh, school, everything. Did it just create, you talk about perfectionism a lot, but did it create frustration? Is that what then turned into the, I guess, the anger side of you would take it out on yourself? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think that's, it's difficult, right? I think, I've probably had a small part of OCD and, and still do or control whichever whichever way you want to look at it. it. It can be frustrating, especially if you don't understand how or identify kind of when it's coming up or, or when it's happening. And over time, obviously, you develop strategies to do that, which you've clearly done. And obviously, that's not you're not banging your head against the wall now, are you? Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. But, um, <laughs> but the strategies that you can create um, to be able to kind of Stop those triggers, I guess. What have you created, whether it was through yourself or your parents or your therapist, that helped you to stop getting you to the point of, you know, becoming suicidal? Yeah, well, the first strategy, like I talked about earlier, was uh, I asked the therapist, what does it take for me not to come back? And she said, find strategies. And I said, okay, I'm going to use the competitor in myself to find these strategies. I, I don't know what that was about it, but for me, that was my, I guess, tipping point for overcoming some of the, I guess, negative effects of it. Uh, so for me, that was breathing techniques, um, kind of closing my eyes and breathing very deeply and kind of just being in the moment and understanding that I don't need to be a perfectionist to um, gain, I guess, the, the respect and um, uh, the validity of others, I guess you would say. And that was for me why I wanted to be a perfectionist. I wanted others to view me as the best. Um, and I, and I had to understand that that's not the case. You don't need to be, have perfect writing for someone to see you. So as did, a you good care, person. did you care a lot about what people thought? Do you think that was a bigger driver than your own internal competitiveness? Definitely. Right. I think, I think that's one thing for me. I just always wanted to be the best, not only for myself, but I wanted to be the best in others eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was very, very important to me. And, and I had to learn that that's not as important as just being the best version of yourself to your, to you. Um, so I think for me, that was a major thing and, and learning to get over that and the breathing techniques. And then just, I think sleep was a big thing for me. I was noticing that when I slept less, my habits would get worse and worse and worse. Um, so just understanding that I needed to go to bed at an, uh, at a good time and, and get eight hours of sleep or whatever it was. Um, and that helped it a lot. Uh, and then from there it was just continuing to build habits that I noticed that, the big thing was understanding that I didn't need to be perfect in others' eyes. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad you talked about that because I think that refers a lot to why I'm bringing guests on this podcast. 
you know, it's a very safe space to be on the podcast, but it's a very difficult thing to do. It's not easy to come on a podcast and put your story out there. There's difficult conversations. But a lot of us in this world, I think pretty much everyone has, you know, they want to be seen by others in this positive light. And this is why I want to focus on the people behind Instagram. We all have this story and, and behind social media, not just Instagram. We're painting this best best picture to get that gratification and, and you know, to feel better by making people think that you've got this perfect world or perfect life. And that's not the case. And, and a lot of people put that pressure on themselves internally to say, I need to impress other people. But there's always a story and a background and experiences that, that take us through life. And you do get to an age where, and I'm definitely at, where you I hate to say you don't give a fuck, but you don't. You really just let go. But it's difficult. There's been times it took me years to even understand how do you let go of other people's opinions when everyone's got an opinion. And also there's so many opinions going around. And, and that's probably something that you, you struggled with as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean... I think one of the things when I when I first heard about the podcast and and um, learned what you were doing is I looked at the name and I and I had no idea what Sonder meant. So I the did first thing Google I did it? I googled it. Yeah, so it's funny because again I've kind I've kind of not given too much away about it and I've let people kind of understand it. Um, someone was telling me the video because that new Dermot Kennedy album he's just named it Sonder and I was like. I was first, brother, so <laughs> don't worry. But um, no, I think that's a good thing. It's, it's There's actually a video, I'll send you the link on YouTube. If you type in Sonder, and it, it's got the short, it's about a three-minute video, and it's pretty captivating. Um, and I think everyone, you know, if you're listening to this, take a look at it. And that was a bit of motivation to what it is and learning kind of that there is literally people around us that may never be a part of our lives, but they're going through things just ourselves, you know. We read a, a sad article today about a paramedic that unfortunately her daughter passed away and she actually attended the scene, didn't realize it was her daughter on the scene and, and she wow. was attending her and then realized later on that it was her that died. And you just, I watched it today um, on the TV and the mum came on and talked about obviously the experience of that. And you just, that really emotionally grabbed me. And I just thought, again, there's so much going on in this world. You know, we're sat here right now. We're in the middle of Calgary, in the city. There's cars going by and everyone is living a life literally as vivid and complex as your own. Um, And there's, you know, everyone's got their own dreams, their own ambitions, and and they want to do their own things. But it's very difficult, the traumas we go through in life, but it makes us the people we are. And we should be there to to be kind. But again, I want people to come on this and, and feel like they can be vulnerable. And, and of course, there's going to be people that judge this. There's going to be people that judge me and and yourself even on this. There's going to be some negative comments. But the positive com- comments that come from it and the positive people that I surround myself with makes me feel better. It's given me a better life as I've progressed and, and moved abroad. And I hope that that obviously turns into, into something special as this grows. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think for me, one of the things that I have had to learn and realize is um, I've always cared greatly about what others think of me. I think it's one of the things that's, it's one of my strengths in a way, but also one of my weaknesses because, um, I'm very self-conscious about some of the, the things in my life. And I have to understand that, like you said, uh, there are other people just, we may never know what's going on in their life and they're just passing us by, but people care less about you than you think they do. I mean, there are people that are close to you that obviously care greatly about you. But at the same time, there are things that if you're just passing somebody in the street and whatever, it's it's not a big deal 
for you to go out and enjoy your life and maybe do things and people aren't going to judge you as much as you think they are. So I think that's a great thing. And um, it's something that I'm constantly learning. And, and sometimes I'm with my parents and my dad will do something and I'll get really self-conscious and say, Oh, you shouldn't do that. But I'm just like, let him be him. Uh, I love your dad. Yeah. I love him. He's a legend. <laughs> he is. He definitely knows how to have well, a good I used, time. But I used to, this was legit. I used to go out, let's just say a bar. This was, I was younger, but I used to go out in the bar and have complete fear. Like I would walk in, I don't even know how to describe, but it would feel like everyone's zooming in on me. Yeah. And their eyes are just watching me and, and judging me and what I'm wearing. And I would think about everything, what I'm wearing, my shoes, my hair. And to the point of, like you said, perfectionism, and it just got completely out of control. And what it created was massive anxiety so that you would have the social anxiety of going out would make it very difficult to even actually go out. I think we've talked a bit about, you know, you can almost victimize yourself by having mental health. And, and we don't ever want to go down that route because there's obviously a lot of struggles that people go through. But it's important to talk about and obviously making sure that we can talk about it. And specifically men, you know, we're trying to improve that. And I know there's Mental Health Awareness Day for everyone. Um, but I do genuinely believe that everyone goes through some form of negative, negative mental health throughout their lifetime. Um, but it is important to kind of focus on the positive outcomes that can be taken from those experiences. I guess now looking at it, what's been the positive outcome of, of the experiences that you've had? I think it's finding balance. I mean, being a perfectionist to the point where it's unhealthy isn't good, but being a perfectionist to the point where you strive to be the best version of yourself has helped me um, in more ways than I can imagine. I mean, it's helped me succeed. And, and I attribute that to part of the reason why I became the highest level of athlete I could be. And part of the reason why I um, graduated from university with, with uh, a, a good grade point average. So, I mean, being the best version of myself didn't stem from just nothing. Like, obviously, I wanted to be a perfectionist, and, and that stemmed from being the greatest version of myself. I just had to learn that that didn't mean writing a perfect letter and doing all these little things that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It was more about just, again, being the best version that you can possibly be, whether that's surrounding yourself with the best people or, or going to the gym every day or doing things that, again, in the grand general scheme make you a better person and, and continue to help your life grow. Um, so certain things like that, I think it's just taking the little lessons from each thing and understanding that they are helping you. It's just at the, there are certain feelings that you get out of it that can be dangerous um, or that you need to talk through to, to understand. Sometimes you can't learn those lessons on your own. Sometimes you need to go talk to somebody and understand that. And that doesn't always mean a therapist. Sometimes that can mean your best friend or who knows, maybe it can be a stranger in a bar. Yeah, you, again, I think that's what, what's great about your, the name of your uh, podcast is someone passing you by could have the answer to your problem. You never mm -hmm. know um, based on their experiences and what they go through. So I think like you talked about, everybody's going through something. We just need to sometimes um, talk about it to understand why we're going through that. And uh, I think whether that's depression, anxiety, um, perfectionism, OCD, there are so many different um, areas, um, ADHD, there are different things that your weaknesses, if you can turn them into your strengths, that's what's amazing. Yeah. And I think, you know, let's not underestimate, obviously it's difficult to do, you oh, know, all 100%. the challenges, if we talked about everything it took for you to get to the point you're at and myself. And again, you know, the podcast is a great space to talk about. Cause I, I feel like a lot of what I've gone through, I've got enough experiences 
to relate to people. I'm not an expert in anything. I'm not a therapist myself, but I've got enough to go. I know how that feels. This yeah. is how it felt for me. And that can be difficult. And, and we talked a, a bit on a previous episode about not everyone understands what it's like because not everyone's had anxiety. And, and I remember when I first told someone about kind of my anxiety and they didn't have it, they just couldn't grasp. They couldn't understand, especially physical symptoms that you would get. They just couldn't understand how that could happen throughout kind of a mental health process. But the the hardest part is literally teaching your brain to be different, you know, and, and kind of revert back to what people would think as normal. But but it's not. There's not a normal. I will happily say I will never get rid of my mental health. I just don't think it'll ever disappear. I think what I've done is I've become pretty damn good at learning what my triggers are, how to kind of deal with that. And there's still there's still parts that's upsetting and frustrating that I deal with day to day, but I've become okay with it. And again, the biggest pressure was thinking people around me weren't okay with it. And that that's what I found the hardest was I was actually okay with it because I was like, look, I've got to live with myself every day. This is what I deal with. But people around me would get frustrated. And that was really hard for me when they think, you know, say if I'm going through a panic attack, if you have a panic attack when you're out, you can't control it. Yeah. You are in this complete state of panic, obviously, and they don't understand why. They're like, oh, we're just going here, like no big deal. Of course, it's no big deal. But to me, it is a big deal. And and being able to kind of communicate that to my friend was very di- friends was very difficult. And the people, again, I surround myself with kind of understand that and are okay with it. I'm, I talk about it now. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty open about it. And, and hopefully people see that in a light of it's okay. And they probably actually have something the same, whether they'll share that or not. It's, it's, it's definitely something you can relate to someone with. I definitely agree. I think it's something that everybody struggles with in a different way. And whether or not they want to talk about it is totally up to them. Um, but I think it's one of those things what and it's continuing to become uh, a major part of society is just understanding that whether or not um, it's not whether or not you go through something. Like I just said, everybody goes through it. It's how you deal with it, how you go through it um, and, and how that kind of affects your lifestyle. Um, and then just again, surrounding yourself with the people that are okay with it and, and doing whatever you can. And then finding the, the people that can not only um, just help you with it, but can help you turn that into maybe a strength and something that um, maybe makes your life better in a way. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, want to thank you, first of all, for being able to share that. You know, it's not easy. And, and hopefully, my goal always is to see, first of all, people to understand, like you said, the reason why it's called this is everyone's going through something. And behind the scenes, there's a story. But some people may listen and, and just be able to relate that little bit and say, you know, me too, buddy. Like I do the exact same thing. Um, so hopefully that works. So I appreciate that. Want to go through kind of the final topic, the one that everyone dreads, dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is something that comes up. You know, everyone seems to ask about it. People are nosy. Um, but again, I think people are open about, about talking about it. We talked about it, I guess, a little bit throughout kind of relationships. First of all, cut to the chase. Are you single? Very single. Single. <laughs> Here's everyone hitting up the uh, the Instagram <laughs> after this. But obviously traveling, that's going to have had some effects in, into relationships and that. How did that affect relationships specifically? Um, you know, trying to connect with someone and, and traveling again, having the, the stability side of things that making it difficult. Yeah, it was very difficult in terms of creating a long-term relationship. Uh, for me, it was... Uh, Again, stability is important in terms of creating relationships in a way that that actually means something to me. So if I'm going to be with somebody, long distance is not really 
it's just not something that I've ever really wanted to do. Uh, it's not something the thought of makes me feel comfortable about. So uh, I just never really even put myself out there to find a long-term relationship. So uh, knowing that I was in different places for a short amount of time made that really, really difficult. And uh, that's part of the reason why I just never got into a relationship. But I also, we, I talked about the toxic um, parts of my life, especially in college. And, and I had a girlfriend and I, I made some really bad mistakes, mistakes, poor decisions. And uh, I've had to learn from those and grow from them. And uh, I think it's made me better now. But obviously, I've, I've hurt some people in the past and, and had to deal with the consequences of that. And, uh, and now I'm hoping that I can just use that and, and create a better relationship with somebody in the future. Do you mind me asking how you hurt them? Yeah, I cheated. I okay. was, yeah, 100% cheated. Uh, cheated multiple times in multiple ways, I guess you would say. Okay. Uh, again, things that I almost felt were okay because other people were doing it and they were saying that it was okay. And then all of a sudden I convinced myself that it was okay. And, and obviously it goes deeper than that. And there were parts of the relationship on both sides that maybe weren't healthy and made me think that it was, maybe she was doing something and I said, okay, well, if she's doing it, I can go do it. Um, and who's to know? I mean, I told myself a story that might not have been true. And I think that's a huge thing in relationships is, is be careful about the stories that you tell yourself because they might not be true. They might be something that you make a big deal and it's really not a big deal at all. So I think that was one of the things I learned is um, you have to know all the facts. You need to, to know as yeah. much as you can before you tell yourself these stories that could really be detrimental to a relationship. Yeah, I mean, first of all, kudos for you for obviously, you know, kind of admitting that and, and, and I know it's in your past. I want to know, I guess, obviously it would have affected the person that, that you did it to. How did it affect you? Yeah, it was, I mean, very, very emotional for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like I said, I cheated in different ways. And at first it was, uh, it was the, the classic cheating that everybody talks about. But then it was obviously the social media aspect of cheating and talking to girls um, when I shouldn't have been talking to them and, and stuff like that. So I think it was just important for me to learn that there's not just one way to cheat on somebody, especially in a world that we live in, where I think all these dating apps and all these things that are out there that make it really easy to talk to somebody and get away with it. Yeah. It's not okay. I mean, I think that's what we need to understand. And what I don't think we talk about enough is, um, yeah, there's, there's so many different ways to cheat and, and you just need to, I think communication in a relationship is important because you need to know what's okay with your partner and what's not, um, and then go from there. Yeah, I think obviously there is a lot of ways to cheat, right? There's the physical, there's the emotional, et cetera, et cetera. And it has become more accessible. And, and that actually leads into kind of what I wanted to ask about, I guess, being an athlete. I think it's probably known to a lot of people that you probably get more attention than the typical male, let's just say. Um, obviously that's pretty difficult to navigate. You know, you've probably got a lot of these choices. Girls are probably, um, you know, almost ready, available, let's just say. How did you deal with that? And and maybe it was the negative and you went down the cheating route because of that attention. But how did you deal with the, you know, the attention that you were getting when you were um, an athlete? Yeah, that was definitely part of it and probably, probably the reason why I ended up doing it the first time and everything like that. Um, it's just one of those things you have to learn that... Um, there are certain relationships that that uh, in your life that um, when you have a connection with somebody in terms of a deep connection, it's 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 sometimes very difficult to get that. And then these these people come along that that act like they want to get to know you and they act like they care about you, but all they want to do is have fun. So you need to you really need to separate 
the the real relationships from the people that really just want to kind of come in and have a good time and maybe even maybe they get pleasure out of kind of screwing up somebody else's life i don't know i think there are well, people i think, I think there. there's a part of it obviously again it's if you're this quarterback i think it's it's an appeal for a lot of girls right it's yeah. that appeal that they may not have the intentions that you may have done at the, at the start of wanting to get into a long-term relationship they may have said they would you know feed you this story that that you potentially could believe yet they're with that quarterback and then when things change and they've got other options it's a continuous cycle and I think honestly it is the danger of the dating world we live in. You know, obviously there's a lot of people in happy relationships, but there's also a lot of people that are in relationships that are not happy. And there's also people that are just completely conflicted with the amount of choice that there is now in the dating scene. And that can be definitely difficult to navigate. And, you know, we've talked about cheating on different episodes and, and how that affects people. Um, you know, not only the, pe the people you do it to, um, but yourself as well. And typically, you know, if you know it's wrong, it affects you more sometimes than the person you did it to because it eats you up inside. And, and did you kind of feel that way? It, it kind of obviously it's a regret now and, and, and looking back at it, but it's obviously taught you something. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that still eats me up. And uh, but again, it's one of those things where either you can use it in a negative way or you use it in a positive way. And it's I'm not saying cheating is a positive thing, but if you learn from it and you take it into the relationships later on, um, then I think that's what's most important from it. I think that uh, as long as um, you can grow from it and continue to become a better person and, and then foster relationships in the future with that, the things you've learned, um, that's way better than just continuing to, to be kind of a scumbag and an asshole. Did so. you at the time, did you admit it or did you kind of get caught out? No, I, well, again, so different forms of cheating. Sure. First time I fully admitted it and okay. uh, immediately knew I was wrong. And then the second form, obviously, the talking online and doing all of that, I, I had convinced myself that it was okay. Yeah. I had convinced myself that maybe she was doing it. I told myself the story, even though she, maybe she wasn't. And then I convinced myself, well, as long as I'm not physically doing anything, it's okay. And obviously, that's not... not sure. Again, I think that depends on the relationship, too. I think if you and your partner have talked about it and say, yeah, I don't care as long as you don't physically go with anybody, maybe that's different. But we had never done that. And obviously, I was and then i got called out on it because i i got found out so sure. and did i guess what's it done for you now with trust like do you trust people like because sometimes it can do the opposite where you've done it and now it's created complete anxiety in your own mind of i've done it i know it's easy to do yeah what's that what's that done to you mentally i'm careful obviously i i'm i I'm really careful about who and and how far i go before uh really jumping into something uh but what it has done is I realize how important communication is and, and opening those communication channels to understand what's okay and what's not. Because as, again, like I talked about, everybody's different. What everybody wants is different. Uh, it's just a matter of finding that person that works with you and, and what your wants and needs are and then going from there. Um, so uh, I think just a matter of finding out who you're with and, and what they are okay with is the most important thing. So I think that's, I took something and I tried to learn from it and I think that's the most important thing I learned so yeah for sure good good for you for the current dating scene obviously we talked about it a little bit then it's a very complex world what's your thoughts on the current dating scene it's hard for me to have an opinion because obviously <laughs> I'm single so it's not working out too well for me but <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough um, are, you, are you on dating apps I am yeah okay so what do you think about that I think there's different dating apps for different people I think that 
I think Tinder is still that hookup scene that people sure. try to talk themselves into and say, I'm looking for something serious and whatever. But I think, I think it's still, Tinder is just still very shallow where you, it's very hard to get to know somebody. I in think a lot of, of people are on apps for clout. Yeah, 100%. Honestly, and I think that's the bigger danger that people are in right now is a lot of people are getting down that influencer route and they are, I've seen tons of people and that's why conversations are not starting, right? Again, yeah. I'm not on them, so. How many uh, girls say, I don't want to talk on here? Message me on Instagram. And then you yeah. go follow them and they get an extra follower and then all yeah. of a sudden you'll never hear from them again. Yeah. It's just like, there's more and more people and guys, I'm sure, are the same way. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that it's very difficult to, to create any type of lasting relationship. I think you can get lucky and find somebody. Yeah, don't get me sure. wrong. And I think apps, uh, like one of the ones that I enjoy better than Tinder is Hinge because I think Hinge... I think that's the most popular. Like from what I hear from people, I think they think that's the most popular. Right? I think people think it's a safer space again than, yeah. than a Tinder. It's become that hookup place. Bumble, people say it's just boring. And then Hinge has kind of become the, the best of the in-between. Do you... Well, I guess, have you before met up with anyone blind, blindly? Yeah, definitely. Well, okay. not blindly. Like, obviously, I've I've, no, but I've done my app, research like... to the point where I, I know I'm not getting catfished. <laughs> the, perfe- least... the perfectionism of Chris is just the full research come out. <laughs> yeah, I've hired uh, the personal detectives. and everything. Yeah. No, um, but I've done to the point where I'm pretty confident of who I'm meeting up with sure. and, and know that at least we'll be able to have a conversation. I'll never just say, hey, let's meet up tomorrow and, and set a date and a time and we meet up. Usually we'll have to have a, a flowing conversation and then I'll say, okay, let's go for coffee or something like that and see how yeah. it goes. But a lot of the time it doesn't work out and yeah, the conversation is never as good as you really think. Sure. Um, my best, uh, I would say, relationships have always come always come spontaneously where you kind of meet up in a bar and the conversation just flows. You can feel that spark. You know right what's away. crazy? Like it's crazy how many people say that. Yeah. yeah we have to or we don't have to we ret- we refer to dating apps right we're not trying to push ourselves back to that you know natural meeting but you know every conversation or, or podcast i do and we talk about dating it's the same it's the same i wish it was more natural or how it used to be where you would go up to someone and, and, and ask for the number yeah. but obviously we're not in a world you know there's a lot of choices it's our nature man it's it's like instagram with likes and stuff like that when you get liked on on these dating websites it's that rush little rush of dopamine that you get that makes you feel happy for a split second and then all of a sudden it's it's just programmed into who we are and it's like smoking a cigarette I guess you'd say so um it's I, maybe it's not healthy maybe it's not what we should be doing but it's part of our society now and it's something that either we're gonna have to um adapt and manage or uh, we let it control us for the rest of our lives so. yeah no for sure I guess moving forward then obviously you've learned a lot about yourself and and you've progressed and got to the point where you're at but I guess what qualities do you look for moving forward in in a, in a person in a relationship? Does they have do they have to be in the same discipline? You know, do you want them to come from a sports background? Do they have to be kind of a health freak? I guess I want to see a bit about the picture that that you paint uh, for that perfect person. For me, I think chemistry is the most important thing. Obviously, I do look for someone who's a little more athletic because I think in terms of chemistry, when you share interests and you share things in your life, health freak is definitely not it because. I'm not a health freak. I think I enjoy going out and eating and splurging and doing whatever <laughs> and having a good night out with the guys, whatever. But uh, no, I think chemistry is the most important thing. Obviously, I have to be attracted to them. I think attraction is the number one thing. And I, I think everyone says don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not going to go up to somebody I'm not super attracted to. Obviously, we can be friends if you want, but I'm not going to create a, a lasting relationship where I'm interested in them if I'm I couldn't be just interested in someone in terms of their personality. I'm, maybe that's shallow of me, 
but I just I don't, don't think, think so. so. No, I don't think so. I think most people wouldn't say it. That's why. Yeah. Because, you know, looks is obviously a part of it. Like, And this is where dating apps, again, come into it. You're looking at a photo. That Dating apps weren't created just with like a bio. Because yeah. if they were and you just read about someone, do you think, would you swipe on someone that's just written through? Maybe you would. Like, if you think about it, someone wrote a really cool bio, like just a little paragraph about themselves. And you're like, yeah. The next one, you're like, oh, no, she's a <laughs> bit of a crazy one. Well, it's like that new show, Love is Blind. Well, not new, but Love is Blind. Yeah. Like they've tried to separate the look start of it. And I, I think, think that's a really interesting show. Like, honestly, I watch it. I've watched pretty much all of them. Um, I'm not caught up yet, but it's an interesting show because it I think is. it's, you know, obviously depends how set up it is by the producers but actually going into those rooms or the pods and and not being able to see anyone but just talk to them and try and connect obviously there's a lot more on the line there proposing after it afterwards and there's there's pressure in that but it's interesting to see if you could make a connection with someone that you've not seen before and then afterwards you know you develop because i've met people before that i've not necessarily found attractive immediately and then suddenly, like, whether it's the career or who they are, their personality, they've suddenly become attractive. And it's this instant attraction that draws you in. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I agree that with was, that. That was a different sure. vibe, you know? Yeah, no, I've been the same way where maybe at first you're like, oh, they're kind of cute, like, whatever. And then all of a sudden you get to know them and you go, oh, my gosh, they're the most attractive person ever. Like, yeah. I think that's 100%. I think personality can amplify. Um, but to the point where I'm like, I wouldn't go talk to that person if yeah, I for sure. didn't know them, then I think it's hard. But yeah, personality is 100% needs to be part of the equation. Uh, and I think it amplifies looks. Um, but to the point where um, what I look for in somebody, I think it's really just comes down to chemistry. And then if I'm attracted to them and then based on the conversation and flow and interests and all of that, I mean, it's it's hard to know because everybody's a little bit different and, and my relationships have been very different. It's just a matter of, kind of what feels right during based on what time of your your life you're in i think yeah i think obviously after this i can help you you know do the application for love is blind and we'll <laughs> see if we uh, we see if we can get you in the pods but obviously thanks so much on a serious note for for all the topics obviously they've not been easy to speak about you know we've gone through your childhood um obviously your passion that you had in sports and, and the tipping point of moving out of that um and then also obviously dating and and, and that sensitive subject too um, on the show, obviously, I asked someone, um, well, all my guests, to nominate someone they'd like to be on the show. Have you got anyone kind of you can think of in mind that you'd love to kind of hear from that you think they've got a story? Some people say people that they feel like they would open up a little bit more if they came on something like this. What's what's your thoughts there? That's a really good question. I know. I like to put people on the spots because I'm just curious who it would be. It can be anybody. It can't. Anyone. Does it have to be somebody anyone. you know? If you say Jim Carrey, I'd love it. Hmm. I would like to hear, well, I was going to say Jackson, but he's already been on the show. He has, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's already been on, yeah. Uh, I think we got to go with Jackson's brother, Noah McDonough. Yeah, Noah would be good, actually. I think because to hear brothers that live together and to hear their experience and to hear completely, I think, different experiences, but yeah. similar. Same um, family. They grew up the same. Sure. They did whatever. But to hear how it's shaped them differently and kind of why they chose different routes and things. Yeah, I, mean, I think... That would be super interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think it is because, again, I think even Jackson mentioned it on on his episode. 
he talks about the, you know, they're so close, but the uniqueness as well that they all have individually. They're all very individual as, as siblings, but obviously growing up in the same household, it can be a, a different experience. So that's definitely an interesting one. I'll reach out. I'm sure uh, Noah, Noah will appreciate you uh, dropping his name in there. Obviously, again, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. It's been a, an interesting episode. Hope everyone else enjoys when they when they get to listen. Um, but thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it and, and can't wait to hear the rest of the guys you have and girls on here. So Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Dan. Thank you to Chris for joining me and to you guys for listening. Next week, we'll meet Mercedes Lee Jameson to learn about the persona behind their social media account. If you want to ask a question on a future episode, go to our Instagram, at Pod where you can suggest topics and even nominate a guest you want to see on the show. If you enjoyed the show, of course, please review us on Spotify and Apple. And don't forget to give us a follow. Catch you next time.